This is the Roaring Elephant Podcast, and we're back today with a momentous occasion because we're going to teach Dave a new word. This is not a word. <laughs> it's not a word. You're making it up. It's not a word. I'm not making it up. Local Roaring is a word. I maybe don't know what it means, but it's a word. <laughs> but you're going to use it and cram it into this episode anyway, regardless. It's in the title, and future will tell if I can get it in the title or not, but... With a bit of luck, it's in the title. But we're not going to be talking about local voring of food and stuff like that. We are talking about... We're talking about... Uh, so once again, this is inspired by one of the, the Forrester trends, which is that local manufacturing is on the rise, apparently. Um, and, you know, it, it talks about a variety of different things. So things like... Um, you know, 3D printing farms for volume production of things, um, like smaller micro factories growing by 20% rather than everything being centralized and shipped around the world and all this kind of stuff. And uh, I, when, we, when we see what's, uh, what's happened over the last like, handful of decades... You know, you can go on to any kind of, uh, you know, whether whatever your favorite um, uh, low-cost supplier website is, whether that's AliExpress or even Amazon.com for or dot whatever um, for your sort of Chinese-supplied goods that are significantly cheaper than anything that you can get locally and get shipped via. Uh, ridiculously fast for given the distance it's coming and ridiculously cheap air post to you to your door I, I I get the I get the point around the fact that more stuff is being done locally but I'm not uh, this is not the way that sort of the world has been trending over the last 20 plus years and in fact has accelerated more and more towards um, huge amounts of cheap volume production happening outside of many um, developed countries and stuff you know, arriving from offshore. Yeah, but you kind of put two things together there, right? I mean, there's mass production and there's import from far away. Both don't necessarily need to be the same. We could have mass production True. in this country locally as well. Now, mm -hmm. the trend is changing a little bit. And the one thing I was thinking about when you were talking is that legislation-wise in the EU, traditionally, China Post was very inexpensive, very cheap, because mm -hmm. they got subsidized. And that's gone away now. You now get full postage paid on things coming from, the, from China. That makes it, okay, a bit more expensive the crap level is still the same. <laughs> <laughs> but sometimes though, the things are, you just, you just need them to be good enough. You don't always need the, uh, I hate using this term, uh, but you don't always need the Rolls Royce uh, solution. Speak for and, yourself, sir. <laughs> and and the, the reason I hate using that term is I used to work for Rolls Royce military aero engines. And so using the See, I chose my co-host as a Rolls Royce. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's just a little bit weird when I hear people say that. Anyway, like you don't always need the swankiest, most artisanally produced 
sort of uh, locally sourced, um, crafted by people that have been doing the same thing for 10,000 years. I don't know, screwdriver or whatever it might be. But you know, sometimes the the cheaper options are just good enough for what a lot of people need. Well, that's funny because I don't really think about how cheap or expensive. I want what I want in the most efficient way. And the only times that I've actually ordered stuff from an Alibaba-esque kind of uh, situation is when I couldn't find anything similar locally. And mm. that ranges from a car kit. I wanted a car kit that fit my phone and had key charging and uh, the phone I have is rather large and there was nothing here. I could find one on Amazon that costs a gazillion amount of money. And if I looked on Alibaba, it was the exact same thing for a fraction of the price. It was the same brand mm. and everything. It's just somebody mm. buying from Alibaba and reselling it on Amazon. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't change the thing, right? And the other extreme was that I wanted something to cover, kind of a dust cover thing to put over some sensitive equipment, had to be kind of big. And I wanted kind of a decent, nice, kind of sci-fi-ish design on it. And anything you could mm -hmm. find here locally was um, Indian, or, or came from Indian patterns, mandalas and stuff mm -hmm. like that, which is not really what I'm looking for. And the only way I could find something suitable for me was coming from there. Now I admit that the printing quality is atrocious, but not a factor of good enough. I mean, I just wanted a nice thing and just, yes, good enough. But if I was looking for something of the size, fit for purpose mm. and locally, it just didn't exist. Now, of course, that's probably because it's available abroad and too expensive to manufacture here locally. Yeah. How do you solve yeah. that one? I mean, I, I honestly don't, I don't think that is easily solvable. I, I the, I, I don't know how, apart from through like any, the same way you do any form of change, which is through small incremental kind of movements in a slightly different direction to effect change over time. We're so far away from, or I feel at least that we're so far away from that. I'm not quite sure how, how you, how you turn that tide. Oh, guess you have to make the far away thing more expensive. And when you can look at the why stuff here locally is more expensive than the stuff from far away, and that's because we have legislation, we have rules, we have things need to be set up a certain way, wages have a certain level, there's minimum wages, stuff like that, which in the mm -hmm. cheap countries don't happen. Now, if big sporting brands still make their shoes and clothing in uh, low-cost countries, yep. and that's a problem. I mean, the easiest way to fix it, I would say, is anything that comes into the EU, and yes, that doesn't include you, um, should be valued as if it was produced, locally uh, produced. not locally, but uh, correctly produced and normal wages and normal uh, ecological setups and CO2 reductions and whatever, and whatever they mm. sell lower, well, rates and tariffs. So either the manufacturer there starts paying his people normal normal wages and they don't have to pay any tariffs, or if they don't, well, they still lose the money. Maybe they'll start paying. Yeah, I, mean, I think that's somewhat oversimplistic. Oh, it's impossible to implement. That's a problem. <laughs> <laughs> well, but what I was going to say is like some, some, not everybody, obviously, but some organizations are paying their, their staff a fair wage. They just happen to live in countries where the cost of living is drastically different to other countries. 
and it's that delta mm-hmm. that, that often yeah often makes it like, impossible for local um providers suppliers manufacturers to complete you know the there's a um there's a sort of a long-standing joke in the uk that the the uk has become kind of a nation of of shopkeepers and like there's almost no production uh, that happens in the uk anymore it's not it is not entirely true but there is certainly a, a huge amount of of truth to that and you know i i wanted to acquire a piece of machinery um uh, a while back and i was looking for something that was you know you that i could source in the uk because i didn't want to have to deal with you know import times and all that sort of stuff and i found a you know so say kind of uk manufacturer of a particular thing um and then you know went ahead did the order yeah, i did a decent amount of due diligence could i've done more definitely did you know went ahead did the order then we said oh they're they're um they're, we've got a bit of a delay um with the uh with the order um they're still on a container ship coming in from you know whatever i was like well what what's this about like all of the they're like made in the uk and like designed in the uk and all this sort of logo slapped all over your website well turns out that it's designed in the uk it's made offshore um or it's made like all the components are made offshore and then it's assembled uh locally and and quality control is done locally and all that and then it's shipped locally which is just you know i'm i'm fine if people do that but then be honest about it and don't kind of don't don't uh, i hate using this word as well don't local vor wash you know your product um or your service or your solution and just like be honest about you know how you're yeah um how you're approaching stuff and that that sort of stuff like i i don't use you know services like aliexpress or alibaba all that often i i i do agree with you in that sometimes it's stuff that you um that i can't get locally or i i can't get locally in the volumes i want at the price that i want Mm -hmm. so thinking back to um many years ago now when we uh we were both sort of a year apart doing our cluster builds like frankly the the best way to get a whole bunch of whether it was i don't know switch gears or power supplies or all sorts of different stuff like that yeah like all almost all of the individual components that weren't the actual computer components you know came from those kind of providers because it was frankly by far the most economical way to to get all of that sort of hardware um and it's yeah i it's just one of those the other the other area that i do use that sort of service still is where i want something i can get it through that it is significantly cheaper and i don't need it right now i just need it at some point in time and i've done enough basically planning ahead of time to to know that it by the time it arrives that that timing will be fine so long-term things like long-term projects um again it it differs by item but things like 3d printing farms and stuff like that i I, i'm i'm one of these people that is yet to get into 3d printing i have a number of 3d printed 
items that various either services have produced or friends have produced or items that have clearly been 3D printed that I have purchased. But it, it's it's another one of these things that is, you know, if you if you go all the way into local voring, the most local is you producing stuff yourself. And, you know, that's... Mm, okay, that's a stretch. <laughs> Why? Like, you could grow your own food in your garden, you could uh, 3D print all of your own devices and tools and make things out of out of wood that you harvest. Yeah, and... that would be dangerous. I mean, if I had to build my own car, I hope nobody would let me drive it. <laughs> and also sometimes it's not possible, right? Because even if you do the 3D printing, yeah. the materials you're using are sometimes simply not available here. If you look at the, the rare air earth metals <coughs> that aren't particularly rare, but are only in certain places in the world, things like lithium and stuff like that. Yeah. Yep. It doesn't grow on the trees here. You have to go somewhere else to cut down trees to find lithium. <laughs> <laughs> Listener warning alert. Lithium does not typically grow on yes, trees. Yes, it does. It's next to the money live. trees. Oh, dear God. Uh, but anyway, you have to get that from somewhere. And yeah, finding replacements for those kind of things, that's hard. I know they're trying to replace silicon with plastic and chips and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, still far away. Now, silicon isn't exactly rare. It's sand, basically. But still, <laughs> the manufacturing plants, there's like five in the world at the moment. And yeah. believe it or not, there's one company creating the machines that are using those plants. And that's actually in the Netherlands. So I'm on local forwarding or everything computer-wise. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, it's hard to do. And uh, the whole 3D printing, I mean, when they came up, when they, when they came up, it was kind of presented as, in the, as the replicators from Star Trek. <laughs> Not exactly. I've seen people printing chocolate stuff, and yeah, I don't know if I want to eat that. <laughs> yeah, I, I have this this kind of fascination with 3D printing, but it, like every every person I know that has gone deep down the 3D printing rabbit hole basically says 3D printing itself is an entire new hobby. Like the 3D printer becomes the hobby, not not just the the thing that you want to print and that's i think i'm i'm probably not going to adopt anything like that until it's until it's a lot more of a or if you have a real reason for it i mean if you're into building things and gizmos and whatever yeah i mean i guess it can make sense but yeah it's it's a hobby in its own right to be honest yeah um, no. So, do you want to local for any more of this episode? Uh, of course, I do. <laughs> Actually, we're not local voring this because uh, we're half EU, half world, so that's huge distances. Yeah. And uh, it made me lose my train of thought. <laughs> I hate doing that. Looking at the IT industry, we actually do a lot of local voring. I mean, we import a lot of people. If I can say it that way, I mean, especially in the Netherlands here, a lot of the IT people are non-native, coming from all over the world, to be honest, which is a good thing, diversity and everything like that. But if I look at uh, work in the government sector, if I look at projects at government sectors, we do put local people working there. Now, the software is coming from somewhere else. Well, we're an open code, open source company, source you company. It's built in the world. Can you say it's remote more than local? We have some local programmers here in the Netherlands. We've got some in America, some in Eastern European countries. But it's software. 
And when you talk about local whoring or manufacturing locally, the thing they want to cut out is the logistics, the traffic, the, the, the whole transport cost and ecological impact that that, that gives. And mm. I'm actually thinking that this slide from uh, Forrester is coming from the whole pandemic era where, well, everything kind of went to a standstill and you saw how crippling it could be yeah. if everything came from abroad. I mean, remember the days you couldn't buy a webcam? Yeah, and not just that. It was things like... PS5s are um, not really. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you, you also had things like... Um, the supply chain infrastructure was so fragile that you know as as a as a an example in the uk there is basically one plant that makes um plaster and therefore you know when when covid hit that uh was effectively shut down for a period of time and all of a sudden practically overnight like you could not find plaster in any form of DIY store, um, builder's merchant, plasterboard, you know, basically all vanished because it's literally produced and then used very, very, very quickly. And, you know, it, these these kind of, and that, you know, was something that was relatively locally produced, i.e. produced in the UK. But, you know, the, the, um, the sort of solutions in place and the, uh, transport infrastructure and the um, the overall um, like manufacturing and uh, what's the word? supply chain that's it that's the whole kind of supply chain is a very very fragile thing and that was stuff that was produced and consumed um, directly in the UK so let alone things that are you know further far and wide we we absolutely i fully agree we saw stuff in the in the pandemic where all of a sudden yeah you couldn't get webcams you could but that the webcam thing was was also a bit of a supply and demand thing the same for like chromebooks as well True, like every but if supply chain everyone, was in order supply would have gone up because there was more demand yeah but there's there's only mm, i think my problem with that is there's only there's only so much that any any given supply chain can boost. Yeah, but make it more generic. Uh, chips. I mean, they couldn't. Man car manufacturers stopped producing yep. because there was a shortage of chips because they couldn't get here and a, com a yeah. factory burned down or something like that. Yeah, literally, car manufacturers were shipping cars that didn't have things in them that customers had paid for, like didn't have didn't have sat nav or didn't have usb ports or didn't have um what was the other one brakes oh, <laughs> i think they all had brakes but like there were there were there were key features that you know they they just hadn't you know added to cars and i i'm glad i didn't buy a car through that uh, that period because buying a car is already a fairly tedious and miserable oh, kind fun. of experience in my in my uh, in my opinion, and sort of therefore putting all that money down and then getting a vehicle that doesn't have things that you were expecting it to have, because pandemic is yeah even more insult to injury. And also sometimes it's very very stupid, right? Because in the Netherlands, for example, we are having a problem with too many farms, too many CO2 being CO2 being created by farming and stuff like that. But over ninety percent of everything created food-wise is being exported. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. 
Now, maybe to close off, one thing I do want to mention is that the fragility of logistics is actually also a good thing because it also makes people a bit more careful. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons the European Union, in my opinion, is a good thing is because it avoids war. And not because all the politicians are suddenly friendly and happy living together. <laughs> no, because countries start depending on each other for their livelihoods. Yeah. And that is something that if you went totally local manufacturing, you would lose that. You get to more of a feudal system again. And that would be kind of destabilizing on the world global forum. I don't know. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it could be. It could be. I think the... The angle of, of people being, people doing the right thing because it also keeps their life being easier. Enlightened self-interest. Yeah. Yeah. I think unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, who knows? Depends on your perspective, I guess. That's how people are. Yeah. So I guess in the end, we well, will agree that we need a bit of both. We need a bit of remote, a bit of local, but we should, I think the pendulum at the moment is too far towards remote stuff and it should kind of yep. swing back a bit more to the middle and we'll probably overswing yeah. at the moment and swing back a little bit. And in the end, yeah. we'll get a happy medium. And to be fair to the, the, the Forrester um, comment, the, the very, very final thing it, uh, it does say is that, um, it, it's a it's more about the the broader approach to combining the benefits of local near and far manufacturing uh, capabilities which i think is the is the right way to do it like you as much as i would like to uh live the the hermit life and uh um exist in a, a log cabin in the woods and you know all of that sort of stuff realistically i also there are lots of other things that I enjoy doing that, you know, are manufactured a long way away or a medium way away. And so, you know, all of these things need to coexist in some sort of balance, some way, somehow. Yep. Well, you heard it. Jan was agreeing with me. And that is all the time we have for today. You can support this podcast by becoming a Patreon. Every contribution really helps. We're on YouTube. You can like, subscribe, hit the notification bell, comment, and do all the YouTube things. You can also go to roaringelephant.org for a link to our Patreon page. For more information about the podcast, you can follow us on Twitter, mainly on, using the at roaringelephant tag. And of course, you can always send your feedback to podcast at roaringelephant.org. Until next time, my name is, still not sure local voring is an actual word, Dave. And my name is I'll live in a log cabin as long as pizza gets delivered. Yum. <laughs> we look forward to seeing you next week. Goodbye. We'll see you then. Bye.